Crush on Radio is a weekly podcast about being a music fan and all that entails. Hosts and music geeks, Richard J. Anderson and Drew Marvin and Matt Keeley, talk about what they love, what they don't, and, most importantly, why. But then you hit record and you're out the door anyway. Our whole relationship is a CD skipping away. Crush on Ray. How you guys doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Right. I'm Rich. I'm Matt. And I'm Andrew. And wow, episode four. It's huge. I get. Yeah. How many podcasts make it to this far? I thought, didn't I use this joke already? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you did it on episode two, but this is like two more than that. So. <laughs> good point. Good point. Uh, yeah. Some of us are a little exhausted. Uh, I know Andrew was out at a show last night, and I was out at a show last night, and... Yeah, I'm just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hot here. It's steamy. Yeah, I, I don't know if you folks can hear the fan behind me. No, I can't. Nothing. All right, good. One less thing to edit out. Yeah, you, you can, might not even think that we're actually in a real studio. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, I guess we should talk about our uh, the picks. Sounds totally. good to me. All right. Who wants, to, who wants to start this one? I think I started last time, so I'm not it. I, th- I guess I think uh, it cycles back around to Rich if we're doing the uh, whole uh, round-robin-in-order kind of thing. All right. Uh, my pick this week is something a little different than usual. Um, this is something that came to my attention again uh, through 4chan's music board. Oh, well. Uh, I, just, I clicked the YouTube link for a sample track and just went... Whoa. And this one is a legal download. You can get it for free. And there is a download link in the show notes. Or if you want, you can go to the Bandcamp page and shoot them five. Was it five pounds or five euros? I but, think it's uh, pounds. Okay. But the uh, album is Soft Focus. The artist is Vanilla. And here is a clip from one of the tracks, Dreamin'. Hello. Well, I said the download is legal. Very clearly, the music itself is actually not. This is a mixtape of hip-hop and soul-inspired hip-hop instrumentals made from samples. Proving, once again, Negative Land's adage that copyright infringement is your best entertainment value. (laughs) I have a shirt that says that. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Do they still sell those? I think so. All right. I'm going to keep that in mind. So this is the um, 
Also, this is actually the, uh, the sequel to an album of his called High Life from a year ago. Well, I'm assuming it's a he. And I don't know, that's, when I put this on, as soon as I heard that first, first cut, I was just, oh, this feels so right. Um, I, I am a sucker for soul music. I'm a sucker for good beats. And I'm a sucker for audio collage. So mine's three of my, three of my favorite things. I'd love to hear what you folks thought. I loved it. <laughs> I, I um, basically I um, listened to it and like pretty much like after like the third track, I started googling uh, Vanilla so I could find out more about him, her, it. I don't know. <laughs> um, the uh, it's one of those ones where it is kind of an annoying because like with such a generic band name, yeah, it's very hard to actually find out anything. But I did find. Uh, the vanilla Bandcamp page and was like hot damn and I downloaded the rest of the albums and this is like again like maybe the third or fourth track into the thing so because yeah this is totally up my alley um it's actually kind of funny when I first put the record on like I couldn't quite tell if it was um actually like you know uh sampling and repurposing old records or actually, like, kind of like a Dap Kings kind of thing, where they actually record it live, and and it's like a, a throwback. And so I was I was really impressed with that and the editing and everything. It's kind of like a like the the idea that I kind of thought was the the lost Brand Flakes record on like Dap Tone Records or something. But then I realized, oh yeah, it's also kind of like Mr. Scruff. So if if you dig this as well, you should. You know, probably probably give uh, Mr. Scruff a listen to, um, but yeah, it's really really good. Just, I mean, like 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 Rich. I mean, I love the old school R and B and soul kind of kind of sound. I mean, like you know, like the Stax records and stuff like that. And like this, like I know nothing about Vanilla, but I know that Vanilla is awesome. And also, uh, the track "Someone New" is totally Daft Punk. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this record as well, Rich. I thought um, it was, you know, really funky. I also like the the rhythm and blues and soul uh, sort of sound, and I, I really enjoyed the feel of it. I thought it, it kind of struck me as, like, um, more sort of, for me, it was more background music, not necessarily, like, oh, I want to put this on and actively listen to it, but something that I could groove to in the background, like, while I'm doing something else. Like, mm-hmm. I think I might put this on, um, I have a writing playlist, which is sort of a sort of laid-back um, ambient slash instrumental slash groove oriented uh, tune, so I would definitely consider using uh, this record for that sort of thing. But it was good. I thought it struck me as sort of like a series of of vignettes because there's it's like 27 tracks I think, and they're all they're all short and concise. And I just thought it was very cool. And I like I love the album art as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean th- that's actually what caught my attention first. I'm just I saw the uh, the, the picture of the cover. I'm thinking, well, that sounds that looks interesting. So, you never know what you're going to find. Mm. Sometimes it's actually worth going into the abyss of 4chan, because <laughs> you never know what you'll find. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been on that website, I don't think. Don't bother. Don't <laughs> yeah. start. You, you, could, you could get vanilla, or you could get, like, horrible gore porn. One of the two. <laughs> Both ends of the spectrum. Yes. That's all you need to know right there. Well. I guess too we should probably describe the cover for those um, who don't have the the website up already. But it's a really cool uh, design of um, like 
kind of a retro um, ad design style camera, and it kind of the art kind of reminds me of Sean Wolf, but yeah, I'm pulling it up right here. Uh... Yeah, it's lovely line drawn, very retro color scheme. Uh, yeah, I love the color scheme. Oh yeah, and a nice use of Futura. Is, is, is there a really a bad use of Futura, though? <laughs> Good point. Typography. <laughs> We're nerds. If you haven't figured this out now, you're in trouble. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that I can't muster up uh, any more effluence because I, I just love the hell out of this record. Yeah, I don't have much to say about it. I enjoyed it uh, while I was listening to it. Um, and like I said, for me, it's kind of it's good background music and good... Uh, it's got a good groove. Yeah, I, I think something. Sometimes when you get something like that's like really good, but this kind of good, it it becomes hard to actually talk about. It's just sort of like, yeah, it's good. Go listen to it. Why are you wasting your time listening to me tell you that it's good when you could be listening to this and know it's good? Mm-hmm. And it's not like you would necessarily have to pay for it. That too. Free is always good. We're looking out for your benefit here. Yes. Okay. I think it's time to move on to um, Robbie Folks. Okie dokie. Um, Robbie Folks is also very good, but this one is not free. Or at least, you know, it's not free if you're, you know, if you're not a jerk. Um, the, the album is Georgia Hard, which, um, one of my favorite Robbie Folks albums. He's got a, a ton of them out, and uh, including one that's called 50 Voice Doberman, which is a... Uh, it's a download-only album, but it's 50 tracks. It's more or less just sort of like a, you know, a, you know, here's a bunch of stuff that I've been working on that may or may not show up on a record. And the thing is, is like, of those 50 tracks, there's only one that I don't really like. Which that's, is... it's pretty good. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good ratio. And even that one is, like, not one that I really hate or anything. It's just, you know, like, oh, yeah, not really. But, um, yeah, it's... Like the the funny thing is too is that like um, I've had a friend who uh, really loved Robbie, and she would occasionally mention him on her blog and stuff, and I'd go like, oh okay yeah okay, and then I at work I got in um, his live album uh, Revenge, which has like really really great cover art. It's this uh, um, there there's a link in the show notes, but it's a um, pulp novel styled cover where it's like. The, a painting of Robbie holding a rope on the cover and it says like applause is not enough he would make them all pay and then you flip it over on, and on the back there's um, you know a painting of you know an audience you know before um, closed curtains and you can kind of see you know the light of you know Robbie's shadow on the thing and there's a piano on a, a rope above the audience <laughs> and it <laughs> It's it's just really really funny the way that it's it's done, but anyway the the funny thing is with this one is that like um I I I listened to Revenge you know just you know just knowing that the cover art was awesome I like figured you know okay between this and, and you know the recommendation this is probably going to be pretty cool I put it on fell in love with it gave it to my mom who um is a is a fan of country music in general and I was like this is really good country she put it on and she hated it. Which is kind, of, which was shocking to me because I thought, okay, this is going to be right up her alley, 
you know, this is probably going to be like the next biggest thing since I turned her on to Ween, which is her favorite band. Mm. And um, she, so she hated it. And then I, I was like, well, okay, whatever. And then maybe six months later, I got this album, Georgia Hard. I said, Mom probably doesn't remember the 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 live album that I I gave her. So I, I gave her this one to listen to. And she fell in love with it and just just blown away. And it was like, okay, this is the the reaction I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for me, like um, this is like I said, I think this is probably Robbie's best album. But really, they're all really good. Um, the thing that I love with Robbie is that he's very very witty, and you uh, can get that in some of the funnier songs like Countryer Than Thou. Or, um, I'm gonna take you home and make you like me. Like, there's a really great thing in, um, in, um, Countryer Than Thou where it's this kind of like rapid fire spoken word bit of a bunch of puns about being a, a, a urban country fan, I guess is how you would say it. And, uh, let me see if I can bring this up. Not a hillbilly dilettante, fair weather hick, faux po folk, well redneck, Robert E. Come lately, hayseed, wannabe, undercover Yankee, Mississippi PhD, Alabama tour, fifty percent less Tar Heel, armchair Arkansas. <laughs> and then he goes into the verse about George W. Bush. Yes. Um, he's got a ranch, he wears a Stetson, he's a hip shooting ex oil king. He even talks like Buddy Ebsen, but he's sitting in the West Wing. Frankenstein I'm well aware of, but won't somebody please explain how you get a county sheriff walking with a frat boy's brain? <laughs> Which is just brilliant lyrics. But even the, the 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 pick that I chose was actually the title track, which is just this uh, really pretty, you know, sad song. And, and, and uh, here's a bit of it right now. And there's no Carolina over Chicago. And that one, as you could tell, you know, it's uh, still, like, got some really great uh, lyrics in there. Like, uh, the uh, thing about um, having a mailroom job that isn't all glamour and fun. <laughs> mm. But um, it's it's a much more serious song, and it's just one that's so gorgeous to me, and there's so many, like, great turns of phrase. It just, it's amazing to me, and... I saw Robbie live, and uh, my mom couldn't make it to the show. Um, so I actually, like, afterwards, I like Robbie kind of mingled with the crowd, and I asked if he would call my mom to say hi. And he, he agreed, so I, I dialed mom up and was like, here, I got someone to speak to you, and uh, gave the phone to Robbie, and he goes like, well, hi, this is Robbie Folks, and my mom kind of shorted out. And one of the things that she said was that, um, I don't know why you're not famous. <laughs> which is kind of an awkward thing to tell somebody but also kind of true because honestly Robbie Folks should be at the top of every every chart like especially the country charts like he should have like you know the top 10 he should be George Strait you know with like 
you know, 40 or 50 number one hits. And I don't know why he's not, other than that, you know, he's on indie labels and doesn't get out there as much. But he's amazing. Listen to Robbie Falks. That's what I got to say. Do you want to take this one, Andrew? Sure. Um, so let me start. Let me preface this by saying I don't. I generally do not do country music. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit on some of my grievances with the genre as a whole um, before I talk about Robbie's album. Um, generally, for me, country music... Um, and it's not even really an active dislike so much as uh, I've never really found anything that has caused me to get into country music. Um, and I've dated a girl or two that has tried to get me into it and has not been successful. So um, usually I find that there's a, a certain lack of depth in my opinion. And that stems from a couple of things. Usually the music tends to be fairly straightforward, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but it tends to be fairly straightforward and simple. And the lyrics tend to be um, fairly literal because, in my experience, from the country that I've heard, they tend to usually tell a story, you know, sort of like on Georgia Hard here. Uh, she said she was leaving, so I went to follow, so on and so forth. And for me, uh, this is a conversation that I was having with my sister last night after we, uh, we went to see the Dave Matthews Band in Hartford last night, and we were talking about some of the newer songs and how uh, the lyrics have gotten a lot more literal and in some ways, that sort of takes away from my enjoyment of the lyrics because, the, in my opinion, the more uh, metaphorical and the more vague a lyric is, the more, I don't want to say well-written, but the more I tend to enjoy it. So with country, it seems like the lyrics are more straightforward and they, they kind of tell a story. And for me, that makes it hard to get to the real heart of the song. Like, I kind of read the lyrics and, okay, that's what it's about. There's no no real thought required, so to speak. Um, but I have to say that this album, uh, and I spent most of my time with the two songs that you recommended, Matt, uh, Georgia Hard and Coldwater, Tennessee. I have to say that this record is pretty high quality as far as country goes. And I think that, you know, there are different, I would assume that there are different genres, subgenres within country. You know, you've got the pop country and the, the honky tonk and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, but I thought this was pretty high quality when it comes to country and I thought that um, Georgia Hard was a pretty catchy tune and I thought that Coldwater Tennessee was a little bit more interesting musically um, and a little bit darker which was a nice contrast to like the cheery you know strummy guitar of Georgia Hard um, so I enjoyed it I don't think that I would uh, actively say oh I really want to put on some Robbie Folks right now but I appreciated this record and as far as country songs go uh, I liked it cool and, and yeah, I, I like I said uh, in the in the notes that no one but us can see was very close to choosing Coldwater, uh, Tennessee, but I didn't because I didn't really want to be the murder song guy. Yeah. <laughs> Here's more songs about people dying. <laughs> First of all, I love the hell out of this, but I'll also admit I'm not a country fan either. Though I'm quick to make a distinction between contemporary country which is the shit you hear on the radio um, where everyone's voice is uh, super processed and all the lyrics are about how awesome America is and um, how... What's a good line? <laughs> uh, the in your how ass thing. <laughs> is, how great the South and living in the country is and how horrible everything that isn't the rural South of the United States of America is. And I... Draw the distinction between that and country, 
which has a bit more variety, is actually played well and has people who can fucking sing. You know, it's the difference between Johnny Cash and Tim McGraw. Right. It's the difference between um, Hank Williams and Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> Are you ready for some football? <laughs> I, I think I think that we 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 can safely say that uh, Crush on Radio um, t- collectively says "fuck you, Bocephus." <laughs> so, listening to I not wasn't sure what to expect with this, but I put it on and I was pleasantly surprised. Um, actually, right out of the gate, what was the what's the first song on the record? I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to look this up myself. Oh, it's uh, where there's a road, isn't it? When, when there's a road, okay, that one actually kind of didn't click with me immediately. But by the time we got to Georgia Hard, I had something had clicked, and I had actually just decided to like the play, like the darn thing. Is it? It's always raining somewhere. No, I'm gonna take you home and make you like me. Is the song that really clicked for me? Gotcha, gotcha. I I think I like his funnier stuff better than his serious stuff, but his serious stuff is still good too. Georgia Hard is a great song, and I can totally sympathize with it. Even though I'm not coming from the country, I'm getting ready to make a, a big move in a couple months. You know, switch it to another city, following a girl, no less. And <laughs> attaboy. Yeah, and so you know, there's something about this that just clicks me, and it's the lyrics are so witty. They're almost, almost at times Ron Mail lyric quality. Uh, Ron Mail, the uh, the songwriter and piano player for Sparks. It's funny. I, I wouldn't make that connection, but now that you do it. It does make sense. Like, they, they have different forms of wit, but they still have that sort of high quality, and, and th- they can both, you know, surprise you with a line. Yeah. It, it's a hard thing to do, and I respect any songwriter who can do that and still manage to keep a rhythm, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely not your, uh, you, know, the, you know, the old joke about country music and playing it backwards, right? Mm-hmm. You get your dog back, you get your car back, you get your girl back. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't get that here. Thank goodness. So, it's a hit with me. And I liked it. Yay. (laughs) Better better than last week for me. (laughs) So, you've you've made up for uh, the other week. Yes. (laughs) Although I did find, what was that song called? Not Adam? Not Adam, yeah. Is that the fetus song? Yeah, I think that did come up. Uh... While I was, I think it came on accidentally, and I did find myself enjoying it a little bit more after I had spent some time away from it. So, yay! <laughs> For the record, I haven't had a chance to go back and re-listen to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no worries, no worries. Uh, I, I, I've got a bus ride in a couple hours. I'll maybe slap it on if I'm not listening to the talk show. Okay. Uh-huh. I, now, now we're up to uh, to you, Andrew. All right. So um, this week I'm going to choose Asia the 19, 1977 album by Steely Dan. And um, I've been a Steely Dan fan for a long time. I think I mentioned on episode, I might have mentioned in episode one, that this is one of those bands that my dad always used to play back before when I was little and I didn't really know what music was. Um, but this is one of the, Steely Dan was one of the bands he used to play in the car all the time and I w- would always like it when he would put that on. And the reason I have the, uh, and so I've had, I inherited the, uh, the Citizen box set so the the entire steely dan catalog up until the the band dissolved in 1980 um before their reunion which i forget when that was but um and the reason i chose this album was i just recently um found that netflix streaming has 
a lot. I don't know if they have all of them, but they have a lot of the classic album documentaries uh, on there for free. And so I watched the sort of the making of the Asia album, and I just found it really fascinating. Uh, all of the the idiosyncrasies and the the perfectionism that these two guys uh, put into this record, and how they use the studio musicians, and I just thought it was. It was very interesting, and I especially as a musician, I really love when they're sitting at the mixing board and they they isolate the different instruments and they turn down the drums so that you can really hear all the different layers and you just really get a sense of how much craft really goes into making a high quality record like this uh, and all the songs are great there's only seven tracks on the album, but they're all really good. Uh, Black Cow is really funky Asia's got some great harmonies peg I've got a link for that in the show notes a great. Um, funky number, and especially uh, I think it's Home at Last. There was an interview with the the drummer that did the original drum part, and he just uh, he played it right there in the interview, and it was just so cool. Just the way he, um, I think it was called the the Purdy Shuffle. I forget the drummer's name, but I'll put a link to him in the show notes. And the the track I wanted to talk about specifically was Josie, which is the last track, and uh, we'll play that for you guys now. The reason I love Josie is because I really love all of the songs on this record, but I picked Josie just because I think um, it's got that funky rhythm guitar and it's got the great bass part. Uh, Chuck Rainey played bass on almost all the tracks on this record, except for Deacon Blues. I think that Walter Becker played bass on that track, if I remember my Wikipedia studies. Um, and I love the harmonies. And my favorite line uh, that you guys just heard is the she's a raw flame and a live wire. And uh, I just think it's a great song. What are you guys' thoughts? Well, yeah, it's interesting. I, I know Stanley Dan. I'm not, I can't say I'm a Stanley Dan fan. I know Matt is because for episode two, he wanted to do a Stanley Dan album as an alternate, as a second pick, but we decided we're only doing one. Oh, yeah. I knew the song Black Cow, but I forgot. I didn't know how many other songs from this I'd, I'd actually knew. Yeah, that's the thing about Steely Dan is like when I went back and first started when I, my dad first gave me his, the box set and I went back and started listening to these songs. I, I didn't know any of the songs by name, but I knew all of the songs anyway, just from hearing my dad play them in the car. Yeah. Deacon blues. Um, I knew that one. Uh, what was the other one that, uh, struck out of stuck in my peg actually listened yep. to that. I, yeah. Uh, the pick, your pick Josie, I didn't know, but and it's actually the song I liked best. Um, not that I didn't like the rest of it. I mean, I it's not good. This isn't going up in one of my favorite albums, but I've gained a little more respect for it. And I do love that guitar part on Josie. It's uh, really. It, I don't really have the technical vocabulary for this, unfortunately. I'm not a guitar player, so. But it's something that got me. It, it got me into it. I, I think the only thing it does. It is. It's. I think the thing that's keeping me from really getting into Steely Dan is that they are a little slow groove. And there's a time and a place for that, but it's not something I usually reach for. I just need something a little more, not aggressive, but just something with a little more, of, that with a little more beat, a little more something behind it. Hmm. 
that's just that's just me. But certainly, I I like it. I'm keeping it, or I'm going to keep it in the collection. Yeah, this album was not uh, one of the albums I was most familiar with. You know, I when I first started getting into Steely Dan, however many years ago, I you know I knew Reeling in the Years and um, Do It Again and that sort of stuff. And this, I think this album is a little bit less accessible than some of their um, quote-unquote singles. Um, so maybe a, maybe a different record. You know, do you know Reeling in the Years and you know some of the other hits, Rich? Yeah. Yeah. So, like Rich said, I I, I am a uh, fan of the band, and um, but I can act, I can see what uh, he's talking about because I think you know the like I think stuff like Steely Dan does get kind of lumped in as like a I think I think the uh, the popular ter- uh, term of the day is yacht rock, and where it is that kind of mellow oh, hey, cool, man, you know, kind of thing, which I, I think does uh, Steely Dan a disservice because, well, for, you know, one, I mean, they're um, so much more virtuo- virtuistic, I guess, or virtuoistic. I, I, I'm mangling the language here, but I don't Virtuosic. Care. Virtuosic, yes. Osic. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, uh, they, 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 they know how to play them, them instruments good, is what right. I'm trying to say here. Yeah. And they use that as a way to, like, Shanghai you into these really clever and actually, like, often kind of cynical lyrics. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that, you know, you know, if you just kind of lump uh, Steely Dan in as, like, Yacht Rock, you're, you're, you're kind of missing out on a, a good chunk of what makes uh, Steely Dan so awesome. Right. And... Uh, for me, like, um, like I'm actually pretty new to Steely Dan. It's one where um, my mom hates them, which is weird. But then again, she also hates David Bowie, and I've never really wrapped my head around that one either. Okay, you need to disown her. I'm sorry. You you, you don't like David Bowie. There's no help. No. Yeah, and it's That's and it's not like the you know the the kind of crappy stuff from the 80s, early 90s. I mean, like I'm talking like you know Young Americans or Ziggy or stuff like that. You know. So, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, so basically, so I never listened to the Dan until uh, my girlfriend Quinn uh, got me into them. Because um, she and her dad uh, were both big uh, fans of the Dan. And uh, for Christmas this year, she got me a copy of Countdown to Ecstasy, which is her favorite record. And it's also turned out to be mine. But I've pr- pretty much picked up all of the Steely Dan records uh, since then. But yeah, it's really, really good. And I just love listening to them. And it's one of those ones where, again, I'm just sort of like, what the hell, Mom? <laughs> mm. Yeah, and- I mean, for me, as as a musician, I just really appreciate and I'm fascinated by the way that they... Um, implemented all of these different studio musicians in order to craft their vision. And for me, Steely Dan is one of those bands where when somebody talks about the phrase great music, I feel like from whether you enjoy the music or not, I feel like you can tell that Steely Dan makes great music and they put a lot of uh, thought and care into the music that they make. So, Yeah. I definitely got that. Again, it's uh, like with Humphreys McGee last week. Mm-hmm. I can tell that these are 
stupidly talented people. Um, they are they know exactly what they're doing in the studio. They know exactly what they're doing on their instruments, and they know it. There's a something very deliberate about what they do. This is exactly what they want this to sound like, and they. Yeah. Uh, I, I did a little research at, on on them. I didn't listen to watch the documentary, but from what I know about the band, this is this is their modus operandi. They take however long they they need in the studio, and they will polish these tracks to an absolute total spit shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, I think they yeah they spent like a year I think on on Gaucho, which or over a year, which was their last album before the uh, their hiatus. And yeah, not a lot of bands can get away with that too. But mm-hmm. you know, just because of record industry pushing, but you know, they were not going to let something out that it wasn't up to their standards, which is something I totally uh, adore and respect. Yeah, the only thing that. I have a problem with when it comes to Steely Dan, and this is something that I'm just kind of wrestling now that I'm really starting to get into some of the albums, is that when they first started out, they toured, uh, according to the documentary, the classic albums documentary, which is in the show notes, um, they toured for a couple of years, but they didn't really like it, and so they became a purely studio-based act uh, after their first couple of records. And watching them in the studio, I admire their perfectionism, but at the same time, I feel like it also kind of gets in the way of them having fun while they're making the music. Like even when they're, um, they do a couple of live takes of some of the album songs in the studio with some of the studio musicians that actually played back on the original record. And the, the music is great and the songs are great and the, the track is grooving, but it doesn't seem like they're enjoying themselves. It's almost as if their perfectionism gets in the way of having fun. Um, which is kind of weird. Like when you see Walter Becker, I think it's Becker, not Brecker. Yeah. Brecker's a saxophone player. <laughs> um, Walter Becker played the guitar. He just has this like blank stare on his face. And like, you know, people make all kinds of guitar faces, but he just has like this blank stare. And it just seems like a very um, sort of methodical approach. And for me, I would I would like to see them sort of you know, enjoy themselves a little bit more while they're making this this great stuff. I don't know if you've ever gotten that impression, Matt, if you've seen videos or anything. I, I honestly haven't uh, seen them. I So it's... I, I know that, like, Quinn got to see them live um, about maybe a year ago, give or take. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, she thought it was a great show. I, I didn't go because at the time I didn't know, you know, I did not know the ways of the Dan. Yeah. And, and and also it was kind of expensive, but it was like one of those things where it was sort of like a treat for her. It was like, you know, seeing, you know, this band that rarely tours is one of her all-time favorites. I mean, it's like, yeah, go, go, you know. Right. But So I've never actually really watched them. But, I mean, I can – listening, I can kind of hear that. Yeah. Like, I, I think I think it's sort of a – like, I mean, I, I don't get the impression that they, like, you know, hate what they're doing. Like, because, uh, I mean, I know that there's some records where you can kind of tell that – they were recorded under duress, and I think I think it's one where the um, like uh, Steely Dan might not might not necessarily get the sheer pleasure from the playing part, but I think that the I, I think that they're more focused on the end product, and and mm-hmm. that's what gives them the uh, the the charge, as it were. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think that in the in the documentary they said that they were both. Um, nerdy English major types that just happened, which I can totally relate to. Um, 
And uh, they just happen to love music. And I can kind of see them just applying that, that, that nerdiness. Like, they're not, they're not rock stars in the sense of, you know, um, like a metal guitarist is like a rock star, rock star. They're more like English nerds that happen to play music. And so they carry that nerdiness into the studio, which I think is where might be the source of that dynamic that they have. But okay. and sort of the musical equivalent, basically, of going uh, re- re- continually revising your insert literary work here mm-hmm. because you need that absolute right word or right turn of phrase. Yeah, and I know that on was it on Josie or it might have been on Peg, but they had you know three or four or five different guitarists come in and solo on this song before they finally picked the one that ended up on the record. And uh, so, perfectionism. Mm-hmm. That was uh, Skunk Baxter, right? I think so. Great album. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, with the, with the Seemly Dan talk, I think that's actually kind of a, a perfect segue into this week's topic, which is sort of uh, the things that as per last week, the things that really get our attention, what grabs us when we're listening to music. Yeah. Yeah. I guess just what you pick up on that'll make, that's going to turn you if it's, if it's right into that rabid slaving hardcore fan. Speaking for myself, one of the the first things that I always pick up on is actually lyrics, Um, which is, I think one of the things that called me about Robbie folks, just the the wittiness of the lyrics. It's not about sparks, but um, maybe it's just the fact that I'm a, an English ma- I have an English degree that I do a lot of reading that I pick up on a lot uh, on language, but lyrics are always the, f- the first thing that really usually, nine times out of ten it's the lyrics that are the first thing that grab my attention. Yeah, and that's kind of how it is for me too. I I definitely gravitate towards lyrics. Uh, it's one of the things I've well, I mean, Weird Al was like one of my like very first musical loves and. I mean, not only is he funny, but he is, you know, really clever. And then also there's They Might Be Giants, you know, and Devo were another huge, huge draw for me. And, yeah, I think it's just that language. And it's kind of funny because, like, you know, on the other end, you have, like, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, whom I loathe. And it's one where it's frustrating for me because the, the band part kind of sounds okay and every so often they'll get like a really cool riff but the lyrics are so aggressively terrible i mean it's one where i mean i i hope that they're improvised in the studio because like the idea of someone actually sitting down and writing that shit makes me want to cry and but it's basically that kind of thing that makes me just like like rips out any enjoyment I could have from the Chili Peppers is like when you have you know the you know people want to keep it like a Kaiser or or whatever terrible stupid ass shit that plops out of Anthony Kiedis's pie hole. <laughs> well, uh, so how do you do, feel? Well, <laughs> we could talk about the Chili Peppers at some point, but um. As far as lyrics go, for me, um, just to reiterate what I said before again, um, the, the biggest thing with lyrics for me is that they have to, the more metaphorical and the more vague they are, the better. 
because I feel like when a lyric is literal, there's you read it and you get it, and there's not much more thought required. Whereas with a band like Umphreys or you know any number of bands, a lot of times you can read the lyrics and interpret them however you want, and sort of, and in some ways. It's interesting because in some ways the lyrics are less accessible because they're more vague, but in some ways they're more accessible because you can more easily tailor them to your own personal experience. Whereas with um, like a country song, usually if it's, you know, I got on my horse and rode after a girl, you know, well, I can only take that one way, really. So for me, I like the more vague a lyric is, the better. Um, And then as far as noticing new music... I tend to, I don't know if I would say listen to the lyrics last, but usually they're they're one of the things I notice later on. Um, for me, it's usually not the lyrics themselves, but more often it's how the lyrics are sung. Because a lot of times I think you can read a lyric on a page and it can seem very simplistic and very straightforward, but with the right vocal delivery, it can really make a a, uh, a simple line really amazing. Like a lot of my... Um, like in a song by the Dave Matthews band called Pig, there's a line that's just come sister, my brother, and which is very straightforward. And if you read that on a page, you know, you would you wouldn't think, Oh, that's a great lyric. But the way Dave sings that song and the way the harmonies are delivered on that record just makes it one of the best moments in the album. So for me, lyrics are kind of a, a tricky thing. There's a there's a lot that uh, that goes into it. Uh, you know, you could always take the deconstructionist route with simple lyrics, you know. Um you know, Motley Crue's Girls, Girl it is Motley Crue, right? Girls, Girls, yeah. Girls. Yeah. <laughs> it's really actually just about the object of pure desire. Mm-hmm. And the girls here symbolize the aspiration, the, uh, the pure, something of aspiration. Now I'm pulling this completely out of my ass. I don't even know what the lyrics to Girls, Girls, Girls are. <laughs> I, I think they're mainly Girls, Girls, Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, folks. I'll be here all week. <laughs> um, I mean, um, some of the stuff I listen to lyrically, it's sometimes the lyrics are fairly straightforward. Sometimes they are a little more complex. Um, off the top of my head, I think the most metaphor dense, complex lyricist I, ha- I can think of off the top of my head is Captain Beefheart. Yeah. And even he, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you listen to some some of the stuff on Trapmass Replica lyrically is is fairly dense and symbolic. I mean, again, that's off the top of my head. I had to go digging in. So, but there's also a lot of Devo songs that have very straightforward lyrics. I love the Ramones, but you know, you got to admit their their lyrics are are incredibly simple too. I I, I wonder what um, now I want to stiff some glue is about, or it's or uh, the, don't go down to the basement. Well, in don't go down the basement. You see, the basement represents the fear of the unknown, and it's. Uh, can, can you tell I did a lot of? Uh, can you tell I got my undergraduate degree in literature? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I guess that sort of, when you talk about stuff like that, it sort of leads to the next thing. I, um, again, speaking for myself, I really crave something that's different than what I've heard before. I've heard, you can, I don't know, that sounds kind of pretentious. Can I rephrase that? Huh. No. I like something that, uh, I, I'm not, a, I'm not averse to formula, but I like variations thereof. I mean, if you're going to just do, be another rock band that's playing, uh, the same, you put a, one of the reasons I don't listen to radio anymore is you put on WMMR and they play a lot of new rock stuff and it all sounds exactly the same. I couldn't tell uh, blindfolded if I was listening to Puddle of Mud or Nickelback or uh, Stained or whatever. The, I, I, 
I don't even know if these are if any of these bands are still going concerns except for Nickelback. Sadly, they all are. <sighs> this is me covering my face in shame. <laughs> so, if you're going to be working in an existing mode, let's say, you know, do something to vary up on that. Which is again, let's go back to Robbie Folks for a minute. Um, it's definitely a country mood, but he's taking the lyrical concerns and updating that as well. I also got, there's also something about his instrumentation that seemed a little different to me than most country that I've heard, but I'm, I don't know much about country, so you can, don't take my word for that one. Okay. Yeah, the instrumentation is relatively straightforward on, on uh, Georgia Hard, although um, he's done some albums that are like, uh, like the Couples in Trouble album is sort of more of a a rock album, except that it's definitely has that country backing, except for like the tracks that are very um, like Celtic, like Celtic and kind of um, old style Celtic. I'm not talking like Pogues Celtic. I'm talking like you know the folk music from like the you know 1800s. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. It's a really good record. Although I guess I would say that Fandom. I totally I totally relate to looking for something outside the mainstream. And I know that um, Les Claypool has said in numerous interviews that when he was coming up, he was always looking for the weird, the the artists that were considered weird or, you know, outside of the usual uh, flow of things. And I think that, for me, that just sort of stems from, partially from being a nerd, you know, not being one of the popular kids, you you know, not being into sporting events and things like that. And just looking for something, something outside the mainstream that kind of connects with me. And so um, that's kind of where a lot of my musical influences have come from, things that are, that are weird or outside the mainstream or that are unconventional. Because a lot of times I think that the mainstream, I mean, I don't know who said it, but the mainstream is called that because of what it is, which is a stream, which means it's shallow. And, you know, I've been saying depth a lot on this episode. Um, But I think that for, like, if you take a record and you have a a single, and generally for me, the single is the album, is the song that I like the least on the record. And I think that's because it is the most accessible because they want as many people as possible to like that song. And so it tends to be more conventional in order to get more people to understand it and to like it whereas I tend to gravitate to the things that are more outside the norm, so the, the longer album tracks and the things that you don't hear on the radio. I think, too, with, like, the... To kind of, like, uh, piggyback on the, the comment about the single, I know that, like, Andy Partridge of XTC has uh, said something along the lines that he thinks of the album... his albums as complete meals, but, like, singles or... or uh, best of collections or, or, you know, greatest hits kind of things as like nonstop desserts. Right. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, some of the, uh, I will admit some of the tracks I've picked from various picks over the last three episodes have been single cuts. Um, I'm not going to diss the idea of a single. I do get upset when a, when I find the single isn't representative of the album as a whole. Mm-hmm. There's the new, the new single by hot ship, which, uh, I'll put in the show notes, but I also linked to the music video. Is has got me really excited for this new album, but there's still that niggling background worry that oh hey, if I what if what if this isn't really represented? What if this is, they're going? This is just the the single, and the rest of the tracks are like the quiet, slow, and kind of uninteresting tracks from uh, One Life Stand, their most their last album, which are still good, but they're not what I gravitate towards when I listen to this band. 
I'm hoping, I don't think it is. I trust a lot of bands if they're going to be releasing a single that they're going to be really, if it's them releasing the single and not say the label, that's going to be representative of what the rest of their output will be for that particular album period time. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I, I think when you're trying to get somebody, either whether, whether it's us with our recommendations or with a band putting a single on their record, when you're trying to get somebody interested in music that they haven't heard before, it's challenging because for, say you have, a, let's say a single is a less lesser quality, quote-unquote, track, whereas you have another song on the album that's like seven or eight minutes or something. That's, that's obviously a much better song, um, in your opinion. But it's going to take a lot more listens for a new listener to understand the eight-minute track, whereas the single, I mean, that's the point, is that it's two to three minutes of catchiness you know, to get you to buy the record as a whole. So it's tough. I think I'm trying to think about my my song recommendations. And I think I've tried to strike a balance between those really obscure songs, even though they might be some of the best songs on the album, and the, um, the more straightforward single end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. And I, I, I think that's kind of how I do it, too, is like, because I, I, I try to um, vary my picks some and, you know, just, uh, you know, because I don't, you know, I, I don't want to be, you know, like I said, like the, the murder song guy or, or whatever. And so, but I mean, it's, I do tr- kind of oftentimes tend to pick what's the most singly of the album, just because it's oftentimes easier to, easier to talk about and to sell, I guess, if you know, want to get, you know, both, I guess, metaphorical and literal in that sense. Cause I mean, it is, you know, I, I'm trying to sell you on why you should, you know, listen to this record. And right. that oftentimes in, involves buying said record, unless mm-hmm. you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah. I think the single is, I mean, it's what it's supposed to be. It's the point of access. And I'm not saying that all singles are bad, because I think you guys, uh, both of you, enjoyed Miami Virtue on the Umphreys record. Mm-hmm. And that was the single. Um, and it's catchy, but there's also a lot of musical and lyrical depth to it, too. So it goes both ways. I think what I was trying to I'm also sort of, did I, was I, did I talk about novelty or no? Not really, no. Okay. And I don't mean novelty in the sense of novelty songs, um, but I, I do like something that's, again, it's sort of variations on a formula. I want to hear, so when I'm looking for new music, I'm looking for something that's really new sounding, if that makes sense to you. That's something that's, I'm unfamiliar with, it can have a grounding in the familiar, but I, I really keep trying to find something that's, in a way, it's sort of chasing. It's, I'm sort of tilting at windmills. I, I, I want something that's going to give me the same experience I had when I discovered Artist X, Band X for the first time, and found out that what they were doing, how new they were. Yeah. Well, and I think too, there's also a sense of you know, like even if it's like like my favorite band, you know, it's like why would I want to have someone, I guess, like basically like rip off They Might Be Giants or Devo? Why why would in that case, if if this if this new thing sounds pretty much like they're doing the same things as they might be giants, why don't I just listen to they might be giants instead? Because mm-hmm. they're probably better at it. <laughs> it's an easy trap to fall down. Um, Polly six got what came to my attention. Well, we got to do that foreign favorites episode sometime soon. Yes, uh, because but they came to my attention because uh, visually, at the very least, they have they owe a huge debt to Devo. But also just their sound, 
what they do is they, they take the, the Devo con- Devo's sound as a jumping off point, which is something I can respect. Exactly. They're not, but it's, it's something that it could have been a lot, it could have been tricky. It, it's so easy just to fall into the imitation thing than, the, um, than to stretch your legs, as it were. Just look at all the really, really, really terrible electronic music out there because it's an easy thing to get into, more or less. You, you know, especially now with you've got music creation software, and all you have to do is just push a couple buttons, click a mouse a few times, and maybe buy a MIDI device, and suddenly you're your own one-man craft work. And yeah. so much of that is outright terrible because it's so easy to do and so easy to fall into the imitation trap. And for reference, guilty as charged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love bands that don't sound like any other band. Like, that's been one of my benchmarks. And, like, when it comes to my favorite bands of all time, like the bands that I've collected the entire discography and obsessed over every song and have tried and failed to find a bad song, I can't think of any other artist that sounds like them. Like, if you were going to describe, you know, there's no other band that sounds like Dave Matthews Band, or there's no other band that sounds like Umphreys McGee, there's no other band that sounds like Primus. Like, if, you know, if somebody said to you, oh, what kind of music is it? Like, you can't. It's hard to describe Primus's sound. You know, you can't. I mean, you have to kind of be like, it's kind of rock, thrash, funk, metal with nasally vocals. <laughs> you know, you can't really. They don't really fit into a neat box, and that's something I've always appreciated in uh, in artists and bands. Yeah, I've always found it sort of easier easier to describe bands in terms of other bands, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but that also implies that you have these the bands that I'm using as definitions in your musical vocabulary. Um, right. you know, they're sort of one half. Yeah, that's just primes, for example. You know, it, part part residents, part down home blue. Well, I guess that's not really a, a band, but you know, part. Um, what's that famous blues? The the, the really the, the herb blues musician, as it were, Robert Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of the residents, part Robert Johnson, a little bit of Captain Beefheart. And wrap that up with some virtuoso bass playing. Yeah. Not the best description of Primus. Right. Well, I mean, all of those, I think those are all um, applicable to Primus's sound. But I think that uh, there's an important distinction between sounding like and being influenced by, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, when Les Claypool was growing up, he was a huge Rush fan. And uh, Getty Lee was a big influence on his bass playing. Um, And they've known to cover a few Rush songs in concert from time to time, but at the same time, they're not just a Rush ripoff. They're very unique, even though the influence is, is prevalent in terms of their instrumental virtuosity and it being a three-piece band and, and everything, but it, they still have found a ver- uh, their own unique, very unique voice. Yeah, you can't, you, you'd never get Primus and Rush confused. Right, exactly. And the thing that I, I've found kind of funny too is using Primus as that example is that uh, back in the early days of MP3 when you basically had the genre drop down mm-hmm. and you know you couldn't really choose you know stuff that wasn't Primus had their own category. <laughs> yep, <laughs> which I've always found kind of hilarious and awesome, but also pretty much fitting. Yeah. <laughs> well, what kind of music is Primus? Well, it's it's, it's just Primus. Primus. <laughs> it's Primus exactly. <laughs> That sounds, sounds about right to me. I guess one of the things we could also, you know, is like, um, so I know that we've talked about, you know, lyrics and novelty, but I mean, I guess there's also, you know, 
um, types of sounds that we're suckers for, too. I mean, it's... Like, I mean, for me, like, I'm a sucker for analog synthesizers. Like, if you've Mm -hmm. got, like, analog synths, there's a good chance I'm going to at least be amenable to listening to you. Um, Or also, like, oftentimes horn sections, although those can be a little bit more dicey because for every, you know, really good horn section, there's a lot of really shitty ska bands. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I mean, like, John Henry is my favorite They Might Be Giants record, and that's like, it broke my heart when they got rid of the, the horn section for, you know, after that. Well, I mean, they still use the horns in concert sometimes, so... Well, yeah, but I mean, it's like when you go from, like, you know, having, like, horns all over John Henry to having Eric Shermerhorn kind of guitar wank over Factory Showroom, it's it's kind of a step down. Yeah. Uh, I'm a sucker for, for both those things, too. I do, I love, um, synthes- I love synthesizers in general when they're used right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen enough bad ones that make me think that you should be able you should have to get a license before you're allowed to operate an, an analog synthesizer in public <laughs> um, I don't even remember who the hell this band was but uh, they were I they were opening for a friend's band and there was, it's two guys they had this uh, Moog Prodigy and a drum machine somewhere and a microphone and I'm thinking okay this has the potential to be okay and then they started unleashing this god awful electronic hip hop and I just wanted to go, okay, if Robert Milk was still alive at the time, but if he was dead, he'd be spinning in his grave. Shame on you. For me, when it comes to instrumentation, being a bass player, obviously, I listen to a lot of bass players like Stanley Clark and Jaco Pastorius and Victor Wooten and Les Claypool and so on and so forth. So I tend to, and my ears, since I've been playing for 10 years or so now, my ears tend to gravitate towards the bass frequency. So that's tend to... Um, what I notice first and foremost, or notice a lacking of uh, first and foremost. Um, and so f- as a bass player, one of the things that I really look for is groove, um, which I've said several times. And groove is kind of a mysterious thing, and it's kind of hard to define, but it's just the way I define it is it's just the thing that makes you tap your foot or the thing that makes you bob your head. And I feel like um, if the music isn't moving you physically in that way, then it's hard to... Um, get the urge to want to go back and listen to it again. And I don't think, and as a musician, I do appreciate instrumental prowess, um, but it doesn't have to be uh, really complicated. You know, like Rush has very complicated instrumentals, but um, at the same time, it doesn't have to be complicated um, to be good music. Something like uh, Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself Again by Sly and the Family Stone has a very, very simple bass line, but the grooviness of it is just unparalleled and that's what makes that song such a memorable tune i i'm with you there i don't i i do listen pay attention to bass lines i'm not just saying that to win over favor <laughs> <laughs> um it's not the first thing i gravitate to but i can tell when a song has a great bass line and also but you're talking about complexity um i respect really virtuoso musicians but i also i don't like to conflate ability technically technical skill and technically adept playing mm-hmm. with Good playing. Right. I find it's some t- when and I get this with with metal. These ridiculously technically adept guitar players playing these really fast, really complex pieces that just make me go, "Yeah, okay, we get it." Right. And uh, there's just no there's no depth to it. There's no emotion to it. 
uh, Frank Zappa was not the world's most amazing guitar player. I mean, he could sort of hold his own, but you could feel the emotion in something like, say, Watermelon and Easter Hay. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. And it's, that's not the world's most complicated piece of guitar soloing either, I think. Mm-hmm. I sure as hell can't play it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, too, is like, I mean, you can also go all the way to the other end. Like, I mean, like, I love half Japanese. And they, you know, basically, you know, neither of them knew how to play in the in the traditional sense. I mean, there's like a really great essay uh, by David Fair um, about how to play the guitar. And I'll throw that in the show notes so you can read it. But I mean, like the gist is, you know, it's like, Basically, you know, you don't need to learn chords. It's your guitar. If, you know, if someone tells you that you're playing it wrong, who the hell are they? It's your guitar. All you need to know is that the fat strings make low notes. The the skinny strings make high notes. If you move your hand f- fast, you'll play fast. If you move your hand slow, you'll play slow. Yeah. And I, I think there is something to be said for that kind of thing, too. And, I mean, it it helps that, you know, you like, I think both of the Fairs, Fair Brothers have sort of an innate musicality. Like, I mean, they're, they they sort of, like, they're, I mean, there's songs that, like, I, I've, you know, heard musically that I'm surprised are, are half Japanese because they are, you know, pretty. And I mean, I mean, musically, not just lyrically, but, but, but musically. And it's just sort of not something that you necessarily expect from them, but it, it works. At the other, other end of the spectrum, there's the Shags, who have no musical ability except... Yeah, you know, they. I don't know how they. I've, I haven't really given half Japanese a good solid listen. I know I've got a track or two from them on a mix you made. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Shags are the ultimate example of musical, or probably maybe not the ultimate example of musical naivete. But it's clear that when they recorded their 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 album, that they had no idea what they were doing on any conventional standard. But the emotion in their playing and the emotion in their songs uh, is is very apparent and it's what makes it what launches it from just these three girls in a recording studio on pawn store instruments to these three girls who are making surprisingly heart wrenching and compelling music. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm putting in links in the show notes to uh, both the uh, watermelon and Easter hay and the Shag's philosophy of the world. And to tie it all together, uh, Frank Zappa famously said that the Shags were better than the Beatles. <laughs> I thought I thought that was apocryphal, but I like the idea. Yeah, I, 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 yeah I to want, be honest, I want I don't it to know. not be. I want it to not be. Yeah, I, I think it's something that we're. Let's just declare that that's truth, regardless or not that it actually is. <laughs> yeah, just to go back to what you were saying about metal, Rich. Um, there's a Victor Wooten is a famous bass player, uh, virtuosic bass player, and he's known for a lot of uh, highly technical thumb techniques, and. Um, you know, he's constantly in pretty much every interview, instructional video he's done, he gets asked, how do you do the thumb technique, the double thumbing? And, uh, you know, he's more than happy to, to show you how to do it over and over again. But he's always been very insistent that that sort of that highly technical playing and the really flashy techniques is just icing on the cake. And icing by itself does not last very long. And you need to have that cake underneath, which for me, is that strong groove and that especially strong rhythm section. And because if it's just like metal with where it's just, you know, highly technical playing and really fast, but there's no groove underneath it, I mean, it's, it doesn't go as deep as something that makes your head bob. I and mean, there's a time and a place for music that makes you want to thrash about. Like, I, I do like 
real honest to God punk rock, which is all emotion and no and minimal skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the what are the three chords? I'm going to defer to Matt on this one. What are the three chords you need to know to start a punk band? If you even need to know three chords, probably what E A G maybe E A D. Yeah. All right. You know E. You know A. You know D. Go start a punk band. And there's a lot that you can do with that, but again, it's also really hard to uh, do that and do it well. But it's it's less virtuosity and more emotion. Right, I'd just like to nominate this, uh, even though it's only episode four, for what might just be the most pretentious episode we've ever done. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you want to pro- talk about, like, uh, Edgar Varese then, or... Uh... You know, I, as, as, I, I do have uh, Varese... Wait, do I, I even pronounce that right? Is it? Fun? I don't. I, I don't know. I've heard it like Varese. I've heard it Varese. I've heard lots of things. I I think it's Varese, but I I think I think I've heard Zappa pronounce it as Varese, but Varese. Yeah. Okay. That's it's, where it's, I heard it from. Yeah. Come on. I just heard. Uh, I was. You guys just said Varese, and I was like, where did I just hear that? You know, when you you've never heard a word before in your life, and then you hear it, and then you hear somebody else say it the very next day. But I watched. Um, Going back to the classic al- classic albums documentary on Netflix, they have uh, a Zappa one, which um, where they go oh. into apostrophe and overnight sensation, and they were talking about how he was influenced by Varese. So that's where it's from. Yeah, yeah. and I actually do like Varese a lot. I I I, I embrace my you know pretentious dickery. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate Varese. I've got his complete works, but I don't know enough. I don't have the vocabulary to talk about that at this point. I will say the reason I've always pronounced it for race also is because it seems what, it's what's right what, what seems right from the three years I took of studying French. Okay, that doesn't necessarily mean I speak French because <laughs> I don't. I was trying to show some race into the show notes too. Yeah, why not? Okay, uh, I'm thinking deserts. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, and I if if you're a Zappa fan, definitely check out the race that uh, Rich is throwing in there because. You can definitely see where he was a huge influence on on uh, Zappa. It's you know, and again, not in a, in a ripoffy sort of way, but in a you know, like we were talking about, it's influence and springing off of rather than just doing knockoffs. And that'll all be on the show notes in your RSS reader, in your podcast feeder, or or on our website. Yes, crushonradio.com. Well, for plugging the website, do we have anything else to add on, um, to the topic, or <laughs> uh, the the topic of plugging websites? No, to the to the topic of the show. To the topic of the show. <laughs> yeah. I think we should do a show that's just plugging websites. Yeah, that'll be the show we do after all, after a night where all of us have attended concerts. Definitely, it'd be the yeah. Like uh, I, I saw this like one thing on like a website. It was like a. A, a cat jumping, and, and it was like in slow mo. And then he like, once he hit like hit the thing, it was it sped up and stuff. It was totally cool, man. That was that was the best thing I ever saw. And that that'll be the episode, just like stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah, that works. <laughs> It'll be Tumblr for audio. I feel like we should should have said something about the shows that we saw last night, Rich. Okay, um, I'll let you uh, you talk first because you you because we went to two very different shows. Yes. Um, well, just briefly, uh, I went to see Dave Matthews Band last night at uh, the Comcast Theater, formerly the Dodge Music Center, formerly the Meadows Music Theater, formerly so on and so forth. Um, and this was the first year I went with my sister, and this was the first year that we got uh, pit tickets 
which is standing room up at the front of the stage by the rail. Normally, we're somewhere in the pavilion. And this was my 31st Dave show um, since I became a fan in 2002. And um, we were about three rows from the rail. I actually had to work until about 7.30, and the opening act was coming on at 8. So I had to hightail it up there, find my sister in the, in the pit and uh, before the show started. And uh, we were about three, about three rows from the rail, and uh, we had to sit through this very weird mariachi band. Uh, mariachi El Bronx, I believe, was the name of the band. I don't know if you, hope you guys are not big fans, but it was like an eight-piece mariachi band, which is a very interesting opener choice. Um, but yeah, then Dave came on, and uh, they put on a good show. It was, it's the first night of a two-night stand like they usually do in Hartford. They've been playing here. They've done something like 20, 28, or 30 shows here. Uh, over the years, and uh, it was the first night of a two-night stand, so it was, as anticipated, a little bit more mellow uh, than tonight will definitely be, uh, today's Saturday when we're recording, and um, it was good. It was a, a pretty good set list, uh, some good old favorites. Steve Lillywhite, who was the producer of the new album and of their three classic albums, their three best albums, in my opinion, was in attendance, uh, so that was pretty cool, and um, the new song sounded good. Um, I've got tempered but hopeful expectations uh for the new record coming out in september and uh it was good the set list was was augmented by us being uh so close uh, so it was a good time cool. sounds like it yeah did, did you get to meet steve lily white or no he was on the side of the stage yeah dave dedicated a song to to him one of the songs from one of the records that they did together and then uh we saw him towards the end of the set we saw him on the side of the stage where uh, dave keeps his where Dave's guitar tech is. We saw him hanging out over there. Cool. Cause that'd be really cool to meet him. Cause he's like a, a brilliant producer, brilliant producer. Yeah. So we've got high hopes. He was very, uh, I probably mentioned this on the episode where I was talking about Dave, but he was very responsible for pushing the band and really getting a high quality, getting high quality work out of them. Uh, and now that he's back with the band after, let's see before these crowded streets was in 98. So probably 10 or 12 years now, um, 12 or 14 years uh, he's back with them so the, the expectations for this record are going to be high but trying to keep them trying to keep them under control yeah sounds, sounds like interesting sounds like interesting show um, mine was complete opposite um, I was asked to work the door actually for this show um, friends, friends band Cthulhu Martini was running a interesting uh show at a little little bar in South Philadelphia. Um, and I'll probably, I'm definitely going to be talking up a lot about uh, the third band at night next week. But, uh, you know, spoiler alert. And so it was interesting, it's an interesting experience being the guy at the door instead of the guy up front where I usually am. But, uh, yeah, Cthulhu Martini is a local band, sort of half psychobilly, uh, half uh, Vegas lounge music. Hmm. And they were followed up by an absolute pure psychobilly band called Coffin Fly, which I mean, I they didn't quite get my attention at first. They they put on a, a raucous show, but they're also they're sort of they seem to be the psychobilly uh, version of anal cunt <laughs> in terms of lyrical uh, content. You know, a friend of mine was not very happy with some with a lot of their lyrics, but it was the the uh, the headliner that night, Mr. Unloved. Which just blew me away. Um, apparently, he's been a, a local fixture for a while. 
And again, I'm going to use him as a he's going to be my pick next week. So I'm not going to say too much about him except that there's if you if you will, Tom Waits uh, meets HP uh, Lovecraft. Hmm. I think that's I think that's enough of a tease. <laughs> so so Lovecraft was kind of the theme of the night then between uh, him and uh, Cthulhu uh, Martini. Yeah, def- definitely. Um, that, that that's that, that's kind of their shtick. Um, so it's always very it's always interesting uh, to see. I don't know how many shows do you go to, Andrew, that are in small venues. Um, how small are you talking? Oh, this was this was a tiny little uh, dive bar. Um, I think the uh, I think it was maybe thirty feet wide. Yeah, I don't <laughs> see. Uh, I don't frequent many dive bars, but uh, the smaller venues that we usually go to are usually more uh, club type uh, theaters. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what, what what they've got out in your neck of the woods, as it were. So. But. Usually, usually we're. I mean, uh, I live in a suburb of Hartford, so we're about equidistant between New York and Boston, which is convenient. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So usually, if we go to New York, we'll usually go to the Nokia Theater. Umphrey's usually plays plays there a lot. Um, here in Connecticut, it's either the Comcast Theater, which is a, an outdoor amphitheater, uh, like for Dave, or uh, Toad's Place is a club in. Well, Toad's Place is a bar in uh, in New Haven. Those are my main my main venues. I do like going to shows in smaller venues because it's yeah you do get the intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, the only downside is so many places, so many small bars and clubs tend to have really terrible sound. That's true. Definitely. Yeah. I've seen Cthulhu Martini a couple times, and this is the first time I actually heard them play and could understand what this, what what, uh, what they were singing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, at least I finally got a chance to hear them. But then again, the great thing about seeing a band in a big space, too, is clarity of sound. Uh, the House of Blues in Atlantic City, I saw my friend Capillary Act, my friend's band Capillary Action open for Les Claypool doing a solo show. Nice. And, awesome. uh, yeah, they've, they've, I've heard them play some small spaces that have good sound, but it was still a huge difference to say, hear them on a stage in a big venue with an actual quality venue sound system. And... I don't, know, I don't know if they did. Um, did you see Les Claypool back in two thousand and nine on any at all? He probably, yeah. Yeah, you might have seen Capillary Action without knowing it. I might have. I don't know what uh, were they here in the Northeast? They were touring in the Northeast area. Yeah, could have been. Yeah, I wish I, uh, wish I could find my ticket stub for that. Okay, well, I think that's an episode. Yeah, you got a bus to catch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sorry for just an awkward closing up there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're, you're going up to New York City where everyone's your friend in New York City. And everything looks oh, beautiful I see what you when you're young and pretty. I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's totally a song. That, that's, that is a great song, too. It is. Cub, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Nice talking to you guys again. Like, I guess we should do the, the standard sign-off of of pimping our sites. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm Rich Anderson. I, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sanspoint, S-A-N-S-P-O-I-N-T.com. Uh, well, well, Sanspoint.com is my domain. Sanspoint is my username on Twitter. <laughs> I'm Matt, and I'm over at KittySneezes.com, K-I 
T-T-Y-S-N-E-E-Z-E-S.com. That's also, Kitty Sneezes is also my Twitter name. And you can also go to my Tumblr at kittysneezes.tumblr.com to see things like a, a drawing of Fluttershy from My Little Pony as a engorged uh, caterpillar. <laughs> and you can find me at andrewmarvin.net. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-M-A-R-V-I-N.net. And at andrewmarvin is my Twitter handle as well. And you guys should be sure to go on to iTunes and rate Crush on Radio as the greatest music podcast of all time. And we should point out that you do not have to write a written review. If you are lazy, you can just click the five stars. And if you're feeling extra generous, you may leave a written review as well. Yeah. And I, I think we can like throw down against a lot of the other uh, music podcasts out there now that we've got four whole episodes. So, you know, like sound opinions... We're coming for you. <laughs> Always great talking to you guys. Yep, likewise. Definitely. <laughs>